Welcome to the Renew the Mind podcast with the pastoral staff of Christ Community Church. I am Pastor Daniel Hickenbotham, and I'm joined today by Pastor Ryan Patty and Pastor Jeff Kennedy and Pastor Patrick Murphy, the most Irish group of people ever. <laughs> and our goal for this podcast is to help all of us here at CCC to be obedient to the call of Romans chapter 2, which commands... Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So we started a discussion a few months ago on eschatology and views regarding the millennium. And because, of course, 2020 was what it was, <laughs> we had to uh, shelve that for a season. And we promise we're going to get back to it. Uh, but over the next few weeks, we're going to be discuss discussing First Timothy, and I will let Pastor Jeff set us up for that. Thank you, Daniel. Very nice introduction. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we have decided to shift gears to the what are called the pastoral epistles, and the reason we're doing that is because over the last few months, we have really discovered uh, through serendipity uh, just kind of a need to do a little bit better job of educating people about what the nature of the church is, and also what the nature of pastoral leadership within the church is. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we read, right now on Sunday mornings, uh, for those of you who may not know, we are going through the book of Acts all year. And what the kind of leadership that you encounter mostly in Acts is apostolic, and there are some differences between apostolic leadership and um, pastoral leadership. Uh, though sometimes they do have overlapping functions as well. Um, but we thought Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 and 2 Timothy, and also Titus, uh, they are leaders who have been stationed at various churches. Uh, Timothy is stationed at Ephesus. So technically the books of First and Second Timothy are not um, written to a church. They don't start to the church in Ephesus. Though... In reality, indirectly through Timothy, this is really the book of Second Ephesians, uh, Second and Third Ephesians, if you will. Um, Titus, however, has been stationed on the Isle of Crete, which is in the which is a super horrible place to be stationed on a beautiful beach island <laughs> resort community in suffering uh, <laughs> for the gospel yeah. in Crete, really suffering for the gospel there. But he does have some challenges, and 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 so Paul has Titus there in Crete on that island to address some of the same things, actually, that Timothy is looking at in Ephesus. So uh, with that, I think we should just dive right in. <laughs> um, we're going to just take a few verses at a time. We don't have really much of a plan other than uh, to really go sort of verse by verse, and in some cases word by word, and really look at what this book is telling us about the nature of pastoral leadership and the nature of the church and the gospel. Um, so I'm just going to start and read maybe the first couple verses here. Uh, actually, why don't you go ahead and do that, um, sure. Ryan? Yeah, First Timothy 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, read uh, through verse 2 for now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So right away we see that um, Paul identifies himself, one, as he always does, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, so we know this is Paul because he always identifies himself 
and he identifies himself as the apostle of Christ Jesus. And he typically does like to put Jesus's title in that order. Hmm. He likes to identify Jesus as the Christ first, which is his divine title, and then his human name, Yeshua, or Jesus. And he says, according to the command of God, uh, our Savior. So the idea of a command here would be what? Trick question. <laughs> it's a trick question. Something that uh, someone commissions you to do, uh, to obey, um, a requirement that you need to perform. Right. So yeah. this is a commission from a superior. Yeah, and apostles, a sent person. And so this is, he is an apostle, a sent one by the command of Christ Jesus and not just his own yeah. intuition or particular right. feeling that day. Good, good, good insight. This is a, the word apostle is the word apostolos, and that word means um, one sent with a commission. And so he is quite literally a representative delivering a message for his superior, which in this case is the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Uh, now he mentions here that... Um, He's sent according to the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And so is that an antithesis in the text? Or uh, are those generally referring to the same thing? What do you know? Okay. Um, I, I think, well, antithesis in the sense of, um, I think, signaling two persons of the Godhead um, but in one sense also like put together, I think, to, to reveal more about God, that Christ um, is not only the Messiah of God, um, but also, as we've seen throughout the rest of Scripture, is one with God and um, the second person of the Godhead. So is that what you're getting at? That's great. I okay. love that. I think you did quite well. Right. Uh, where else does he <laughs> use these two <laughs> terms right here in the pastoral epistles? Now, this is a little bit of Bible trivia, but this is really important. Uh, specifically our Savior and of Christ Jesus? Our Savior, our God and Savior. That's a I great I know question. you know it. As soon as I say it, you're going to be like, dang. <laughs> in these pastoral epistles? In so the in pastoral epistles. It's Titus 2.13. And he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, oh, yeah. the glorious revelation or appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah. But points now, in there. yes, those two, those same two terms he's using here, except this time he's applying the word Savior to God the Father, which was common in in Jewish yeah, uh, circles, and then Christ Jesus, our hope. So I don't think we should make too much of that, other than to say we're talking about the same God here, mm, yeah. Yeah. two persons of the same God. Um, it seems quite clear. And not and just he, we, but Paul is addressing it that way. Paul is Paul addressing is, it that yeah. way. Paul has yeah. a thoroughly Trinitarian understanding of God, and it comes through in so many ways throughout his writings. Um, okay, any other Yeah, I have a question. So you mentioned earlier um, differences yet overlaps in apostolic ministry compared to pastoral ministry. Yeah. And here we have the apostle talking about his command from God. Um do pastors go in that same vein of having that same type of command, or is, it, is ours different, or how do you... I for sure think that God has ordained local elders and pastors. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, like I view myself as a person who has been ordained by God to be here. Yeah. Um, and he'll get into this more as he talks about pastoral ministry, but there is a calling, I think, mm-hmm. that we have in the similar sense that an apostle would have a calling. Yeah. Um, but in terms of our overlapping functions, I think we'll see them here. Those are going to be, obviously an apostle is a teacher, and obviously yeah. local elders and pastors are teachers. Obviously an apostle has been commissioned with the gospel. Obviously we have two. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Paul says, my, my, my heart is burning within me yeah. with the daily pressure of all the churches. Yeah. And, and as we'll get to <laughs> here, right. yeah. uh, he's got to encourage Timothy. Yeah, because pastoring is hard, yeah. and so there is definitely some overlap between our our callings. I would say, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do. I think an elder, pastor, teacher, local or uh, overseer um, is called and ordained by God to that ministry. Yeah. So we might be touching on this more later on, but um, are we able? If uh, somebody's sensing a call to pastoral ministry, are we able to, like Paul, kind of make a an authoritative claim of, hey, God appointed me to do this, and you are now appointed to listen to me? Um, or is there a different process for us? Is there a, or was good. there a different process for Paul? Zero to one hundred. Yeah. Was there a, you know? <laughs> I think that's a good question. How, how do you read it? Well, just taken by his statement, going from zero to 100 and saying, you have to do what I say. <laughs> I mean, clearly pride is wrapped up in that pretty pretty substantially. That's, you know? that's a servant leader, uh, brother. Yeah, do as I say. <laughs> yeah, right. But then I, I would actually kind of put upon the uniqueness of the apostles' calling. They saw the risen Christ. So he has a certainty that he speaks of that I know I don't quite have the same level of certainty that I can bestow upon another a calling outside of what God has already given us to do. So looking at the gifts, gifts, the ability, whether it's a talent, whether it's the it factor of preaching, I mean, yeah. that's what I have to yeah. rely upon is what God has already given me, but I don't have the same certainty that Paul does. Certainly. But wasn't there a moment when in Acts when after Paul's transformation, he was presented kind of before the the church in Jerusalem, and everybody went. Oh, good point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like this is a thing that's happening. Yeah, he has it. It wasn't just a. He got a harebrained scheme, got knocked off his horse. That's right. Disappeared yeah. for you know number of years, and then came back and was. Um, yeah. So yeah. great this, point. This happens in the context of community. It happens in the context yeah. of people. Right. People identifying yeah, it, and I think he it. talks to you know, he talks to Timothy later on about that's that. That's good, too. man. Yeah. I think he makes very clear in Galatians, though, in Galatians 2, because in that book, he, he just like in Corinthians, he feels an acute need to, um, to apply or to um, assert his apostolic authority. Mm-hmm. And so in that story, he made a big deal over the fact that um, he had the right to rebuke Peter, Cephas, to his face in public and he mm-hmm. did so because he was an apostle also. Yeah. And what he insists on in Galatians chapter 2, which is why I don't think the book of Hebrews, by the way, is written by Paul, uh, is, that the gospel, <laughs> is that the gospel was not passed on to him by any man. Whereas remember, in the book of Hebrews, he starts that book out by saying the gospel that was passed on to us by the first generation. Mm-hmm. So Paul doesn't think he's in that category. Paul gotcha. thinks that he's an original 
Yeah. Uh, one of the people who originally saw Jesus resurrected. And so he feels the need to assert his own apostolic prerogatives. And I don't think local pastors have that prerogative. So go back. So going back to your original question, we are called, we are ordained. But I think Paul could say, hey, um, this is a command from the Lord. <clears throat> you know, I received yeah. this command from the Lord in prayer. And yeah. I'm passing. I would never say that to a person, yeah. Yeah. but we I think say, I would say with here Paul, are the commands of the Lord. <laughs> right? We say here are the commands of the Lord in this book. But I think I would say with Paul, "Hey, I'm not the Lord. Yeah, this is my opinion on this, and I often do that on a Sunday morning where I say this. This is what I think. You, you're right. welcome to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so so in that sense, uh, there is a little do- discontinuity there. We're so is, we're not apostles. So is there a discontinuity between if I, we look at this? Um, an apostle of Christ by the command of God, we don't have the same command. I don't think we do. We're not given the same command. No, I think this word command is, uh, going back to what Ryan said about this, this is an injunction that is given by a superior, and that person is now the personal representative. That's what an apostle is of the superior, the sending one. And I think you and I are representative of Christ, insofar as we represent the gospel entrusted to the apostles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just a little too old-fashioned, but but that's how I would look no, at it. And then I, I would add the, the exclamation on, or the description on that to say the command that he's given is also a joy. So it's not just a burden that's laid upon him. It's mm-hmm. a joy that he gets to receive. It's a grace he, he, he's receiving. He does have that perspective, and, yeah. I th- and I'm glad you pointed that, that out because we're going to get to a lot of heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a joy in serving the body of Christ and and, and leading the church as well. It's it's not often that you experience that, but you do on occasion. It's there. Uh, experience yeah. that. Um, so he says to Timothy, my true child, in the faith, I love this. Um, now in Acts chapter 16 and also 1 Corinthians, he mentions this as well. So he mm-hmm. calls Timothy his dear child or his child in the faith. And so what I think I love about that is it, it's just another one of these examples of the Bible using familial metaphors for the church. Right. And we often, unfortunately, use corporate metaphors, hmm. right? Yeah. Because we live in a marketplace culture. We live in a corporate culture. And we often relate to one another that way, hmm. more like a business. So our meetings are like business meetings. But sure. in this world... The church was a family. You know, it's Joe Hellerman's book, The Church When the Church Was a Family. Yeah, and I think he's right about that. Um, so I love this language. Uh, Timothy, my true, genuine, real child in the faith of Jesus. And uh, I love that intimacy. Do you think that. he's. A, he's uh, <clears throat> was Timothy a direct convert of Paul? Or did Paul adopt him kind of just in the. In the flow of ministry, they just bonded extra closely. And that's a good question. Um, is there any, is there any concept in that language of I I gave birth to you in a way? Yeah, yeah. By presenting the gospel to you. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I for sure understand it to be at least at the very least like, uh, his mentor. Uh, yeah, a father in the faith, one who aided his discipleship as well. It seems like the ground was all already well. Uh, seated by I think isn't it Lois and Eunice yeah. yeah um and so yeah at the very least I think Paul had a hand in his growth uh but I don't think we're sp- specifically told if 
uh, Paul was actually the one who first preached or told the gospel of the good news, specifically about the Christ yeah, yeah. Uh, to Timothy. And the reason I'm asking is <coughs> it's not weird to adopt, like, it's foreign in our culture. Yeah. But it would not be it would not be unhealthy or odd if uh, you know for yeah. for you and I to call each other brothers in the faith. Yeah. Or right. to, to to adopt that language and adopt that attitude towards uh, towards people, younger people uh, as children, older people as parents. And um, I mean, there's boundaries with everything, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no but that's doubt. not it's not a it's not off the table. Mm-hmm. It's definitely biblical language, and it's definitely a biblical attitude. That's the boy. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, yeah, I think we need to think about how this. How does this apply? Hmm. You know, how do we relate to one another? And I think brothers and sisters is just a really good, good way to do that. Yeah. Um, but if we were to adopt the language of father and mother in the faith, I do think there's an added level of respect that would come from the younger generations to the older generations sure. about what they've undertaken as far as establishing a church, faithful preaching and teaching. And not lord it over them, vice versa. Yeah, that's good. I don't know if that could apply, but it's interesting to know. Well, notice what he says here. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So here again, we have this uh, sort of uh, the basic Trinitarian understanding that uh, the word Lord is only ever applied to God the Father in the Old Testament, and he's Mm. applying that to Jesus um, but he adds something to his he adds something to his customary greeting, which is normally what? I think it's normally grace just grace and peace. Yeah. Why does he, he add mercy? mercy? <laughs> because because it's a pastor, probably he's going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to flesh it out in the book. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's exactly right. I I think the burden of pastoral leadership of local congregations, um, though we though I think we do a pretty go- good job of hiding it. <laughs> and I think we do a pretty good job of sort of dealing with it with each other, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, unlike the church, who has already received the merciful uh, mm. salvation of the Lord, that pastor is going to need a yeah. degree of mercy um, personally. Yeah. And so I yeah. think there is something to this just being personal, uh, a personal letter to a one person, and through him to the church, but but he is just wish, wishing God's mercy upon him. What's the difference between grace and mercy, though? Hmm. You know the Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, mercy is not getting <laughs> what you do <laughs> deserve. Grace is is getting what you don't deserve. Okay. Yeah, simple term. But I don't know if that's the usage of mercy. <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I like that. I I kind of. I kind of do think sometimes sometimes the old ideas are the best ideas, and I think there is just a good, solid truth, uh, an mm-hmm. undercurrent of truth in that statement. I think technically, though, mercy is uh, is I look this up, and it's most often used in the context of someone who has power over you, yeah. and the person who has power over you not exercising their power to crush you. Right. So I think your definition is right. Yeah. Um, um, but instead giving you clemency, giving you something, what did you say? Uh, Keeping from you what you do deserve. Withholding from something that you do deserve, deserve. or what they think you deserve. And uh, so, yes, Uh, this cat is going to need this. He's going to need all three. 
Have yeah. you noticed that most churches are either they have, they have the name Grace in it or Peace in it, but you don't see many churches named Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've right. always been curious yeah. about to why why that one. That seems really important. <laughs> what God has done with us. So. <laughs> Just an odd quirk. We're gonna get a bunch of letters. I used to go to Mercy Church. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just didn't look hard enough. Well, he goes on here in the body of the letter. He begins to give instructions, very direct instructions to Timothy. Um, and, and let me know when our time is up. But uh, he begins to say in verse 3, Just as I urged you when I traveled to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So now we know he's in Ephesus. He's mm-hmm. stationed there. The Ephesian church, as we discovered in the book of Ephesians, great day. That's the happiest book in the New Testament. <laughs> uh but Paul is jacked in that book. I mean, he is so elated to share with them their identity in Christ yeah. and everything that is true about them in Christ. And just, it's awesome. Um, but he says, uh, remain there in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach other doctrines. So the word other doctrines here is heterodidascaleo. Uh, heterodidascaleo. And what that word means is a foreign or alien teaching that is con- contrary to the teaching you received. Hmm. So clearly what's happening here is a is a faction of people that he has yeah. to address to say, you need to instruct these people not to teach these contrary doctrines. And then he's going to flesh that out. Any insights there, anything that you felt like really jumped out to you? Seems like a, a lot of our translations, I think you used other, we'll say false. Or sure. you understand it, I'm guessing that word to be, that other word is seems to be presented in a negative light. Right, it right? is. Yeah. yeah, heteros means another. Yeah. But the other Greek word that they use for, for other is the word alas. Yeah. And alas means another of the same kind. Heteros means another of a different kind, <laughs> another of a foreign kind. Okay. Um, so it's it's in contrast to, yeah. So that that's 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 a good translation actually. Does, does Paul have specific people in mind when he says certain people, or is he more referencing <clears throat> when anyone teaches something other than that's who defines as certain people? So is there a group in camp that's already there? Oh yes, I think so. I okay, think so, so well. there's a yeah. there's a specific crowd he's speaking to. I think there's a pretty clear, it's pretty clear in the context what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also think one thing that's interesting from this uh, particular verse, verse 3, and obviously we're going to be fleshing out uh, what is false doctrine, what does it mean to you know correct somebody, but already in this early church, there was an understanding of right doctrine. You know, yeah. It's often already. communicated and, and said, like, and, and of course the church is working things out, and we put things into creeds and confessions, but already in the scriptures we have an understanding of what right doctrine is, that's you right. know, and not to teach contrary to that. That's so I think that's important point. to recognize. Good point. And the other thing that that stands out to me is we have a tendency to to romanticize the early church and yeah. be like, oh man, you know, it must have been. Yeah. This is just a f- <laughs> like what a couple decades after the birth right. of the church. <laughs> yeah. And there's already people in their midst trying to you know trying yes. to. Uh, you know, promote different doctrines, and and so, the same attack against the church has always been, been happening. A good, good point. Uh, yeah, and it just it takes different forms, you know, hmm. in different in different places. But, and so in one way that should be encouraging. That it's sure. not that the the early church had a a better, more romantic, more wonderful opportunity. They had different opportunities yeah, and different struggles right. and different. Yeah. Uh, 
So. Boy, that's a good point. Thanks for reminding us of that. That reminded me of Acts 20 and the very, and remember Paul's farewell speech to the elders at mm-hmm. Ephesus. And he actually calls them to cross the channel there because yeah. he can't go back to Ephesus. And they all together together and they're holding hands and they're just weeping their eyes out because Paul told them, you'll never see me again, not this yeah. side of eternity. Yeah. And But remember what he charged them with. Remember what he prophesied and told yeah. them. Uh, wolves, yeah. uh, ruthless, merciless wolves are going to come in and just shred you mm. with false doctrine. So be on your guard. Make sure you're ready as pastors to shepherd the flock. Well, and that's why he starts this letter with it. If anything, of anything he could start it with, he started with Timothy, protect the flock by what's being taught. That's right. Yeah, that and is the most. Yes. Important. And he is giving an obligation, I think, to pastor, like pastoral ministry to confront that yeah you know people people sometimes get frustrated whenever we preach against something because it's no just tell me what you're for oh you're right which is very important and there are some people who have made (laughs) careers of just being against you're right you're right um but there's a healthy balance yeah but but paul is is giving instruction here that this is your obligation this is your job as a as a pastor is to confront this so yeah i think I am always, I'm glad you brought that up, because I am always wary in my preaching that I'm not harping on things. Like, I don't want to come across, one of the things that annoys me is when I listen to preachers that I like, and I think they're good speakers, but they just seem to, every sermon, they're calling somebody out. Mm. Like, they're just, like, condemning Ravi Zacharias, you know, because of that whole scandal. Or It's like, I don't feel the need to address literally every situation Mm -hmm. or everybody's ministry I kind of just want to stick with the text here. But mm. there are some times when I think we do. We are warranted to say, hey, that 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 will take you astray. Yeah. That's yeah. something that's as a flock, I'm concerned about for my flock. Yeah. And, and I think that's so, the key language. It's for our flock, right? He's instructing him on how best to confront these teachers within the specific church he's pastoring. Um, so more often than not, I think pastors should be faithfully aware of uh, what's happening within their own churches and what For the, sure. their people are susceptible to. Yeah. So, Yeah, we had a situation not too long ago where there was just some <clears throat> theological stuff, some undercurrents in a particular ministry that just didn't match us. Like, it just didn't match mm-hmm. Christ's community church. And it wasn't that we were condemning these people or yeah. saying, hey, you're, you're teaching this false doctrine. Yeah. It's that we had concerns about some of it. Mm-hmm. And we thought, we probably really do need to sit and and ask some questions. And it turns out it just wasn't. Some of it was false, but a lot of it was just not compatible with our yeah. vision Different and our values in ministry. And yeah. so we had to agree to part ways. Yeah. And so sometimes things can be amicable, and that's always our first uh, first option if possible. Yeah. Um, but we are called, actually, I do think through this, through Timothy's calling here, we are expected to address things that are have a deleterious effect on church life and church yeah. health. Are we expected to search it out or just address it when we see it? I don't want to become a heat-seeking <laughs> missile for heresy. You know, like uh, I think it was more acute in their case sure. because they had so many. Well, it sounds many... like it's a loud crowd. I mean, it's someone who yeah. is talking yes. and speaking. Mm. And you know, they had the Jews, which you'll mention here. They they had these. Um, sort of ridiculous Jewish teachers who were just teaching wild things. and then But they also have the pagan world, and it's just so easy to get sucked into one of these Mithra cults or one of these mystery cults, mm. especially in Ephesus. So 
I think the presence of it was probably more ubiquitous or more pronounced yeah. than it is for us. I yeah. think you kind of have to just wisdom would say you kind of match, you match your response to the level that yeah that it affected. That'd be you good. know yeah yeah. Um, so if you got one person espousing heresy, you know, drag them up in front of the whole church and say, say which one of you people talked to right you know, talk yeah to him about this. And, so it looks like we're uh, we're bumping up against the end of our time. We're going to continue this uh, over the next few weeks. We appreciate you joining in and listening in. If you have questions that you want to have addressed, send them to uh, uh, ccc at ccc-if.org. I was going to say and Daniel uh, at ccc-if.org. No, no, you only, only send me nice things. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we appreciate you being with us, and uh, we love you, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.